Right, welcome to um, my podcast. Currently don't have a name for this podcast yet, so that's a work in progress. What I wanted to do with this was to record something. Initially, I thought every two to four weeks, but it'll probably be every four weeks, um, as it's just me. So something like once a month, um, get on, just ramble a bit about some topics. Um, I hopefully get some guests on too at some point. I uh, was going to start with some local Derby people and then move on from there. So um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I've got a I've got a loose list of sort of ideas of things to talk about today. Um, so it'll just be me rambling on a little bit um, just about training, <clears throat> diet, supplementation, stuff like that. So I've got a loose list of what to talk about. The first thing I was going to talk about was uh, my current training and post-contest rebound, my thoughts on that, um, since uh, I'm now on the other side of the uh, of the contest. So in terms of my current training, um, it's very JP-based, I guess, Jordan Peters-based. So um, a lot of my stuff is, a lot of my sets and reps are uh, one top set in the anywhere between six to 10 rep range, um, followed by a back off set, usually a little bit higher. And I just play that by ear, depending on um, how beat up I feel uh, from the session, depending on the exercise as well. So it, it's going to vary. Um, so mostly, let's say if we if we take a, a chest session, I'll start with a dumbbell bench. This is one of my rotations. Um, so the dumbbell bench will be in usually between the six to eight rep range. Um, then I'll do a back off in the eight to 15 rep range. Um, and after that, I'll hit some, that's it for that exercise. Then I'll hit some dumbbell flies. Um, usually for that one, it's fairly high up ranges. I won't go to a six to eight on that. <clears throat> Just so form can be a little bit tighter. Um, then the third exercise is where I'll do a barbell exercise. So that'll be a bench press. Um, and then I carry on with the session. So in terms of how my weekly structure looks like, I, I do a push-pull legs. And I try to get in the gym every, pretty much every day. So about six days a week. Um, the way I can do that is I have different rotations. So with a traditional push-pull legs, you know, you've got usually a couple of different rotations. So that lets you go on for the week. I have four different rotations. So I'll come around to the same exercise every two to two and a half weeks, depending on how much rest I've had. So the more rest days I had, the longer it takes for it to come around. Um, so that seems to be able to let me to carry on work for a while. So that, that's a good topic to talk about, um, is the idea of sort of rotations as opposed to um, deloads. So this is actually, yeah, it's an interesting topic because I had this conversation with um, with another coach recently who didn't who didn't seem to understand um, what, I, didn't seem to understand that there are multiple reasons for deloads. So to deload as part of a sporting paradigm, as in, you know, what a powerlifter might do, what an Olympic lifter might do, that's definitely one way to incorporate deloads. So, uh, sorry, this is going off on a bit of a ramble, but I suppose that's kind of what the podcast is about. So, so to deload just based on performance, I think is is definitely a thing. Um, it's very much in the, it's very much part of the literature. It's part of the accepted model for sports performance. So the idea that you should start with um, higher volumes and lower intensities and move on to lower volumes and higher intensities followed by a deload week, a week off um, to exhibit performance. Usually in that deload, you'll either completely rest or, um, you know, and do some light work or you'll actually test a max towards the end of the week um, as you'll 
as the fatigue will dissipate, but your fitness levels are still quite high. <clears throat> so that's definitely one reason for a deload. And I don't th think that's really suitable for bodybuilding. I don't think you need to necessarily deload for bodybuilding. So that's, I mean, you know, I'm in complete agreement with that. But I think where dealers are useful is this idea of um, injury prevention. So um, this just chat that I got into, um, I don't think that was really established in the conversation. Um, I was trying to make the case that this idea that deloads for the sake of injury prevention are actually a good idea. Um, and the idea is if, if you're looking at taking deloads when you're beat up, um, you're basically looking at uh, following your your body signs that it's giving you that it's tired and it's beat up and all that kind of stuff. So you're relying on what they call biofeedback. The issue with that approach is that there are some systems in the body which do not provide biofeedback. So this idea that you know you can just use biofeedback and that's a better system, um, it's it's a little short sighted by people who aren't really seeing the fact that some parts of your body just don't give you biofeedback. Um, so some parts of your body which don't give you biofeedback are usually your tendons and your ligaments. They, they, they're not as well innovated um, as muscles. So when a tendon is going to snap, it'll just go, um, usually. So at least this is what I've seen with, with powerlifting training. Uh, I've seen, you know, torn pecs and, and, and bicep tears. They tend to come out of the blue. They're, they don't really give you any warning signs. So if you're a bodybuilder who's training relatively heavy or if you just have some sort of structural weakness, not taking a deload at some point um, just because, you know, you don't get any signs or any biofeedback and, you know, you think that's enough, it's silly, it's short-sighted. And uh, I think if, you know, you're doing that, if your coach is doing that and they're basically prepping you for an injury, um, as as was evident with the guy I was talking to. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's an overlooked point <clears throat> in regards to deloads. So we've got this, just to summarize that, we've got this idea that deloads are, are for performance, uh, but there's also deloads for injury prevention as well, because biofeedback isn't always going to give you um, the right signs. So there we go. But yeah, I thought that was, um, that was worthy of a bit of discussion at least. Um, so anyway, going back to current training. Yeah, so I, I do um, four different rotations of my push-pull legs. Um, at some point, I'll be taking a deload, but that's keeping me going relatively well for a while. I'll probably deload over the Christmas period and uh, just take a week right off the gym. Um, but that's kind of how I've been doing it. My plan was to essentially just carry on gaining, uh, gaining strength, gaining weight right the way up until June. Just have one big, long, slow bulk, uh, staying fairly lean, um, trying to hit roughly about 100 kilos of body weight. I'm about 91 now in the mornings. So taking an entire year to put on something like 20 pounds, I think would be reasonable staying, uh, staying in relatively good shape, but also really pushing up those levels of strength, which I think you only can do if you're in a surplus for a long time. Um, so there's this idea that you should sort of bulk and bulk and cut, bulk and cut. Um, I'm not sure I'm in, I'm that much of a fan of things. I'll see how this off season goes, but um, I think to gain some real good amount of mass I think you need to be in a surplus for a long time uh, rather than breaking that up into into different periods of cutting like if we say for example if you were to bulk for 16 weeks and, and cut for about eight weeks you've really got a period there where your your weight lift, your weights aren't going to be going up they're they're going to be potentially even going down and then you've got the reacclimatization um reacclimatization of um of the weights when you start to put the calories back in so yeah it's uh 
it, it it's it's we'll we'll see how it goes this off season. Ideally, my plan will be to block all the way through, but you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was post contest rebound and kind of the way I've done things um, differently over the years. So obviously, this time it was different. I had the I had an actual contest, but previously I've leaned down and done rebounds as well. So. What I did this time, um, which was through the advice of, of my coach, uh, Chester from Team Stacking Plates, um, what I did this time was I, I didn't do an aggressive rebound um, with either food or supplementation. So for about eight weeks, I think it was six altogether, six, seven weeks altogether, I just used maintenance calories. So roughly, I think it was 26 to 2,800 calories during that time. Now, my body weight did increase, so I actually went from what was it, 80 kilos to about 88 in those first six weeks. So, it's, you know, it's a reasonable amount of weight gain. But that was all done on maintenance calories, which which suggests to me, and I didn't binge at all one, one time, that wasn't uh, the case. So what that suggests to me is the body was really just replenishing a lot of the stores of water and glycogen, which were lost when you go into a deep cut, a competition cut. So, you know, a deep competition cut is very, very different from just a short mini cut to potentiate other mass. Um, so a deep contest cut you really get very dry you lose a lot of glycogen and it's one of the reasons why you end up feeling really weak and i think that's the key point so when you're feeling so weak coming straight out of a competition phase assuming you've done a deep cut and you're feeling really depleted i think the best choice is to go on maintenance and just let that weight sort of slowly pile on and and this is why i don't think you're in a fit state to be to be pushing hard enough to gain muscle and that's certainly been my experience I, i i think coming out of a competition phase you're just you're not in a position where you're strong enough to really apply the stimulus. So, I mean, I was working hard in the gym as hard as I could, but to put it into perspective, the second day that I was um, training, I think I did legs. So I started with a pull and then I did legs. Um, while I tried hard, it it was so tiring that I actually fell asleep on the gym floor. <laughs> so, and this is with the music blaring and my headphones in and music in my headphones. Well, I actually fell asleep on the, on the bench. For a few minutes, so I was that tired just from just from training. Um, you can imagine with that level of fatigue, you're not going to be able to push yourself as hard as you want to be able to push yourself. Even if it feels like you are, even if it feels like you can turn around and go, "Yeah, I was pushing really hard," you're you're obviously going to be able to push better when your body's replenished. Uh, and to replenish your body, it takes a few weeks. I think I think there's probably a cap on how quickly you can replenish body weight to get back to normal. So if you blast straight out of the gate, like you, you blast your food and your supplementation, I'm not sure you're in a position to actually put on a lot of muscle. I, I think you're probably in a position to put on quite a lot of fat um, because you're not able to provide the right anabolic stimulus from, from your lifting. You're, just, you're going to be lifting really weak weights and it's just not going to be enough. This is a theory. So I, I, I've, had, I've had a lot better results this time um, just going through maintenance out of the gate until I feel better usually six to eight weeks. And then from there, I can really start to pile on the food. And there I notice my workouts are getting really intense because I've already been through that six weeks of sort of introductory lifting weights, getting the weights up on a new program like, like anybody would. So that's all done on the maintenance calories, which I think is sensible. Um, so just getting used to the routine, getting the rotation sorted, getting getting all the angles right, getting the weights right for everything, you know, that's done in the first six weeks. Um and when that's done, and when I'm ready to push, I'm ready to flick the switch, everything is set. So my routine is sorted. I know exactly what I'm doing. All my weight's been brought up to the point where they're teetering on, 
on working really, really hard and then I add the food in and that's when things get really tasty. So I personally think that's probably the best way of doing things just because I don't believe that now, I don't believe now that um, you're likely to gain a great deal for the post-contest rebound. I've seen some people do it and that's great. Um, I just think they're potentially a little more aggressive in supplementation that I'm that I would happy to be that I would be happy to be with to to do so. I think that's probably the way forward. Uh, and you know everyone's different as well, but certainly for me, I think this is this system works a lot better. So yeah, that's current training and my 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 thoughts on post contest rebound. I think the other thing as well is I'm I'm feeling really fresh right now. So I've I had six to eight weeks of maintenance um, after the competition, and during that time, I you know I'm feeling healthy. Everything's kind of going back to normal and I feel really fresh. So now as I'm increasing the food and supplements, uh, I'm at that position where I'm feeling mentally very fresh. Whereas you're going to have guys who, who are essentially blasting straight out of the gate and I think they're going to get tired after a few weeks, you know? So there's that, there's that. So I'm, I'm ready for a good long off season now. Um, so I think there's also that to be said as well. You need to know when to take your foot off the gas so you can go hard later. Right, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, BCAs. So I've got a video coming out fairly soon, fairly soon on uh, BCA supplementation. I had a question from a client, uh, hey Jack, if you're listening, um, about BCA supplements and and how useful they are and, and you know what's what's good about them, etc. Um, so I've I've got a video coming about which out which will talk about the specifics. I'm not going to talk about that today, but in in short, they're useless pretty much um, if you're eating a good amount of protein during the day, which most people will be. Um, so they, they're essentially useless. Now, what I wanted to talk about today was this the, the psychology behind um, the psychology behind what people put a value in uh, and why they put value in certain things. Uh, I, think, I think when it comes to supplementation and when it comes to training and coaching as well, is what I've noticed, people don't really know how to value these things. So... They'll value things based on the monetary value that the person selling it will place on on the product or on the service. So if you've got somebody who's giving you free advice, for example, I've noticed over the years, and it's one of the reasons why I actually got into coaching in the first place, was people just don't listen to free advice. They, they flat out refuse to listen to it. Um, so you're in a situation where you might spend an hour with someone talking them through something, blah, blah, whatever, giving them advice, and they'll flat out ignore you. Um, you can then charge that person <laughs> for the advice for an hour, and they'll listen because they're monetary involved. And I think the, the reason is that they don't necessarily know how to value information or, or the information they're getting. Some, some people do. Like some people will appreciate that, and usually people have had coaching before. Excuse me. Uh, just having a sip of my coffee. Um, so I think people will struggle to um, place a value on things and, and they end up usually undershooting the value, I think. So when it comes to something like BCA, you've got a big company and they do all the advertising, they make out that they're a trusted company and they're telling you, you know, you buy these BCAs and it's going to be great, it's going to be fantastic, you're going to make you loads of gains. And people will believe that as well. They'll, they'll actually take the BCAs and they'll believe that it's making an impact straight away. Uh, and, you know, BCAs aren't even supposed to make an impact straight away. I mean, that's not, it's not like they're not, they're not a nootropic or they're not caffeine or anything along those lines. You know, it's not like it's supposed to give you a boost straight away. It's supposed to be anti-catabolic. But people will even say, they'll even say, 
yeah, I feel better taking them. I, you know, I feel like I could get a boost taking them. And, you know, so they're that brainwashed by these big companies, by these big trusted companies <clears throat> that they'll be making up positives just to feel better about spending money that um, on, on the product. Because no one wants to feel like an idiot. No one wants to feel like they've been taken for a ride. So you've got these big companies who are telling you, this is a, it's a great product. So, you know, we've got this research behind it, blah, blah. And you've got somebody else, you know, a smaller time coach, for example, who's who's just looking out for you, who's telling you, look, actually, the research is quite clear that this is useless for most populations. You get, you usually get two people in, the, in that circumstance. You usually get two different types of people. Um, the first type of person will flat out refuse to believe that the product is useless. They'll much prefer to side with the company, the big company, because they've already spent money. So to accept that they're wrong, to accept that the supplements are rubbish, is to accept that they were wrong and they got ripped off. And psychologically, I think that's very hard for some people. So their brains start playing tricks on them and they start lying to themselves. Um, but the, the, the phrase is, you know, don't lie to yourself because it makes it easy for other people to lie to you as well. And that, and that applies here. Um, so you've got these large faceless companies who are telling you this is great. And when presented with research to the contrary, one group of people will just flat out ignore it. And then they'll they'll even start to make up things that they feel about this product, which aren't even supposed to be even a, even a listed benefit, you know? Uh, like, yeah, it makes me feel better for this and that. Placebo is great, you know? Um, placebo is fantastic. So... That's a, that's a lot of what companies and, and a lot of what coaches rely on. They rely on the placebo because the, the fitness industry is very subjective. You know, does it feel like it's working? Does it feel like it's doing this? How do you feel? They get people excited and you know, that's how they get their money. The other group of people will be presented with the information that, and, and the solid research, which states clearly that the product is useless. And they'll see the light and they'll drop the product. Um, and they'll be thankful for, you know, the guy giving them the, the truth um, and they'll get pissed off. You know, I think it's right to get pissed. I think people should be pissed off because if you've been spending 30 to 50 pounds per month for the past two, three years on a product like BCAAs, which is which are provably useless if you're eating enough protein, you should be pissed off. Like you should be annoyed that you've been lied to and you've been ripped off. You've been taken for a ride. You should be annoyed. It should piss you off. And it surprises me that more people aren't pissed off by stuff like that it surprises me that people then will jump from bcas to the next supplement they go okay well what else can i spend my money on <laughs> well i you know i'm gonna get ripped off today i may as well i'm gonna get i'm definitely gonna make sure i'm ripped off I'm, if i don't get ripped off by bcas i'll get ripped off by something else um and they'll do all that and they'll run through all these supplements and they'll jump onto the next supplement bandwagon so i think there's two two types of people one who will sort of protect and massage their egos um and two, the other one who will accept it and kind of move on and realize they made a mistake and that doesn't define them and they've learned something and they've gotten better. So, yeah, as I say, I think it's it's a case of you just try and keep your eyes open and don't lie to yourself. Um, as it, it becomes a lot easier for other people to lie to you and then rip you off. Uh, and in, in all these circumstances, you should definitely just try and read the research. Um, my opinion on BCA is traditionally because they've been around for a while now um and historically i never bought bcas i never once bought them um 
just because it, it logically never made any sense for me to buy a, a partial protein. Like it doesn't make sense. Why would you spend money on a partial protein? Why don't you just have a protein shake? It never, it never inherently made any sense to me. And I'm going back to sort of 2005, 2000, yeah, to early 2000s when when I first heard of BCAs as a supplement. Um, it never, they ju they just never made any sense to me. It never made intuitive sense. Why would you pay for a partial protein? It just didn't make sense. Even if they worked and to prevent catabolism, I would much rather just have a protein shake during the workout. It made a lot more sense to me. But um, in any case, that's kind of what people um, were thinking. So I never really bought them. Logically, it never made any sense, despite the research. The the next big thing now is EAAs. Um, again, I've not bought them yet. I'll, I'll reserve judgment on those, um, just based on what I've learned from... 15 years, well, 20 years now um, in fitness and, and the way research and the fitness industry is. I'll, I'll reserve judgment on EAAs. There was a lot of there was a lot of research about BCAAs 15 years ago and we're seeing quite a lot of research about EAAs now. So yeah, you know, I could be right. I, you know, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying yes or no either way. I'm just saying I'll reserve judgment on those because like any supplementation, it's just a bit of icing on top. It's not, it's not the bulk of it. You, the bulk of it's going to be training hard, um, resting well, taking care of recovery and, and food. That's going to be the large bulk of it. So supplements are just extras, supplements. So yeah, I'll, I'll reserve judgment on EAAs until um, until we know a bit more about them. Um, and on that note, the same for CBD oil as well. I kind of reserve judgment on that too um, at a point where I feel that, you know, there's it's a bit more benefits. As I say, a lot of a lot of what we see with supplements, and I'm, I'm, you know, bear in mind, I've, I've seen this going on for 20 years. Um, a lot of it's placebo, um, so it's uh, it's amazing what you can get away with by just convincing someone that <laughs> it's working. As I say, this is an example of BCAAs. You know, it's it's amazing that people are convinced to the point where they're just making up benefits. They're like, oh yeah, I feel like I get a buzz from BCAAs. Like, really? <laughs> That's that's not even a thing. <laughs> so, but yeah, they're getting a buzz from BCAs apparently. So it's amazing what the mind will make up um, just to kind of rationalize taking a supplement and spending money on a supplement and then and justifying the fact that you've spent money on it. It's amazing what the mind will will do to justify those decisions. So I'll, I'll reserve judgment on pretty much all supplements um, until, you know, I think something like creatine has pretty much proven itself to make a difference and there's loads of research on that uh, and good research and it's it's not only good physically it's also good mentally it's a good nootropic as well so I think that's probably a good one but um, <coughs> above and beyond that uh, I'm, I'm going to be very sceptical very sceptical alright how are we doing for time this has been 20 minutes <sighs> I'm not sure really what else I wanted to talk about today I could just keep this um, short I was planning on an hour but an hour is quite a long time especially if it's just me talking. So um, since this is just me rambling, um, I've covered a fair bit today. So, you know, current training, post-contest rebounds, deloads, BCA, supplement psychology, um, placebo psychology, stuff like that. So yeah, I think we'll call it there. This is a reasonable start. And um, I'm going to now figure out how to upload this onto um, SoundCloud. Right, cheers for listening. That is part one of my podcast unnamed at the moment um and yeah we'll we'll go we'll have a look at when i do part two anywhere between two to four weeks bank bank on it being more bank on it being more like four weeks um 
So yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. Right. Cheers, everyone. Speak soon.